You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to have a seat, we'll go ahead and pray for our week's missionaries. Missionaries this week are Mirko and Paola Franzini. Uh, They're in Italy with the Tentmaker Bible Mission. Father God, we just lift up these amazing people to you that that serve you day in and day out in a world that unfortunately is troubled right now, be it sickness, be it policy, whatever. But I ask that you continue to keep us strong, keep Mirko and Paula strong um, spiritually and physically, help them to bring the good news that you provide to each and every one of us every day. Just to give us the eyes to see that good news and to recognize it and to pay it forward. I ask that you also be with Pastor Keith as he presents on this passage. Help it to touch us and help us to uh, give us hope and to spread that hope to others. Amen. So Romans 12 is the application. And, and I, I came across the phrase, maybe you've heard it before, maybe you've heard, it, heard me say it before, because I came across it. Uh, this week, and I, I also, I think I, I first encountered it last year, and uh, it, it was coined as a result, by a therapist, as a result of, I think like 5,000 millennials between the ages of 23 and 38 years of age who saw this therapist over the span of five years, and, and the reason, the consistent reason for setting, uh, setting up an appointment with this therapist It can be boiled down to one sentence, and it's this. I have too many choices, and I can't decide what to do. So so the phrase that was coined as a result of this is decision fatigue. That's actually a thing now, I guess. And so I don't know about you, but I, I don't fit in that category anymore of 23 to 38 years of age, but I still experience decision fatigue. Anybody? Like, because most of the decisions in our life are not, they're not like morally right or, or morally wrong decisions. Like choosing what house you're going to want to live in is not necessarily a moral decision that you need to make, but it is a decision. After like the fourth house, when we were looking at houses uh, in Cheyenne, when we, before we moved here in June, last June, or two Junes ago, uh, last year, after about the fourth house, I started suffering from decision fatigue, right? Like, that's, like, I was just tired. I was ready to just decide already. Um, didn't think moving to Saddle Ridge was a moral decision. I did second-guess my decision after the first hailstorm. Uh, literally, we signed the dotted line for closing on our house on May 15th, and then that huge hailstorm came through and caused, like, $22,000 worth of damage to our new home. So that wasn't fun. But you sign up for that when you live in Wyoming, right? Or Cheyenne, for that matter. But most decisions aren't moral decisions. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, Paul, uh, when I read these first two verses, it's as if Paul is giving us 
the antidote, antidote to, to avoid uh, spiritual decision fatigue. You know, when, when you're trying to figure out what the right thing to do is in, in a way that honors God, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 is his antidote uh, to, to really work through that. And I, that's all I want to do this, week, uh, this Sunday, is just to unpack that uh, for you and with you. And the way Paul does it is he basically gives us two things, two steps to take to, to discern and to know what the will of God is for your life. You ever wrestle with that? Like, have you ever asked yourself, what is God's will for this decision in my life? Like, we asked that question regarding the neighborhood. We wanted to... We wanted to, to so the first, the first step, and uh, even though it wasn't a moral decision... So the first, the first step is to live sacrificially. That's what Paul begins with. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning I beg you, I, I strongly urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and what he means by that is he said, in light of everything I've just written in chapters 1 through 11, present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. You know what the problem is with living sacrifices, somebody said to me, is that they, what? They want to crawl off the altar. You ever feel that way? Like, I know what is right, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not feeling it, right? You ever honestly feel that way? I Me, I've, I've been there. Uh, so he says, in light of everything I've just said, in light of the mercy that you've experienced by the God of all creation, Present yourselves to him. Uh, in essence, in chapter 12, chapter 12 is the antithesis of, of, of chapter 1. It's, 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 this is, you're not chapter 1. You're not the world anymore. You are the people of God. So live your lives like the people of God. So what does he say in chapter 1? Because I didn't preach on chapter 1, but I kept going back and referencing chapter 1. What did he say uh, about the world in chapter 1, beginning with verse 18? Well, he said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Does that feel relevant to anybody this morning? Like, it's happening. Like CNN, even Fox News, Facebook, there's a lot of suppressing of the truth going on in our world today. And, uh, and so, so Paul said, this, this is the world. This is, we shouldn't even be surprised by this. This is, this is the way the world is. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And in verses 21 and 22 in chapter 1, he said, but for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but that they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. There's a lot of that going on today too, isn't it? Like, like uh, you know, like, the, like Don, whatever his name is on CNN. See, I tell you, defund the media, but here I am, like, glued to the stupid stuff. And then I get angry. I'm like, I'm turning it off. No, I'm turning it off. It's like watching a train wreck. Um, and uh, <laughs> do I get on the Facebook today? Or but watch it, hearing Don say, you know, uh, 
Admittedly, Jesus wasn't perfect. I'm like, are you an idiot? Like, have you read the Bible? I actually said, said that out loud. You, you would have been able to hear me on the, in the office. I'm like, I can't believe you just said that, dummy. Um, but so claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's what's happening in our world today. Verses 26 of chapter 1. Uh, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. We see that. And then the last verse in chapter 1. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You see that, don't you? You hear that all over the place. And what Paul's saying in chapter 12 is, that's not you, Christian. That is not you. You're alive now. You're a son. You're a daughter of the God of all creation. You, you, God is in the business of making dead bones live. You're, you're an example that God is able to do that. You're a living testimony that he's able to do that. And we've been in this sermon series, you know, since the first Sunday that we had to have our building shut down. And, uh, and, and, and all throughout Romans, we were reminded of who we are in Christ and how we are to or how we can live our lives in a COVID-19 world, metaphorically speaking, like, like, like this world is dead and uh, we're alive. Even though, according to Romans chapter 3, I mean, these are things that we talked about over the past weeks, even though you are unrighteous, Jesus died for your sins to provide you with a righteousness that was not your own, to provide you with his righteousness. That's Romans 3. In Romans uh, 5 and 6, when you were an enemy of God, he loved you anyway, and he sent his son to die for you, to make you his, to reconcile you to himself. In Romans uh, chapters 8 through 9, when you were far off, God called you. And not only did he call you, he predestined you. And not only did he predestine you, but he justified you. And, and guess what? One day he is going to glorify you. Like that's, the, that's who we are, which should be really good news. My go-to passage, and you should already know this, and I'm hoping it's the same for you, anytime I'm discouraged is Romans chapter 8 because it tells me everything that I am in Jesus. And one of the things it tells me is that this earth suit, it's breaking down. Like, it's not uncommon for me to hurt myself while I'm sleeping now. Like, that's... Like I take a I I take a nap on Sunday. That's my only that's my only real nap time after church. And I, I have a recliner that I love. And I know, I know that when I wake up, my neck's gonna be stiff. I still do it anyway. This body is breaking down, right? And so is yours. And and so the the reality of being a Christian is that we're promised that one day that's not gonna be true. We're gonna get a new body. Uh, we're gonna experience a resurrection. And, and the body that we're going to receive will not break down. It will not grow old, and it will never be tainted or tarnished by sin. Like, so that's us, Paul says. That's you. So don't live like chapter 1 when you're alive in Jesus. You who were not considered the people of God, according to chapter 10 in Romans, are now the people of God. You who were once not beloved by God are now loved by God. And you who were once a child of his wrath are now sons and daughters of him. And the only thing that you are able to look forward to and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's coming is his, his mercy and his grace and his riches that are going to be lavished upon you. That's why there is no, what, condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. 
That's who we are. And so Paul starts off by saying, I that's why I appeal to you. That's why I'm begging you. That's why I'm telling you, I'm urging you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what does he mean by sacrifice? Does he mean just, you know, damage your body like the early monks would do? Take a, a, you know, a whip and just scourge your back and find a, a, a cave to crawl in and, and hide yourself? No, no, he, he doesn't mean that at all. What he means is, is, is to present yourself to God. The imagery would have been very clear to all those who were, who, who were Jewish who heard Romans read to them for the first time. There were three, there were multiple sacrifices that were offered to God in worship throughout uh, Israel's history, the Old Testament. And uh, three of the big ones was a sin offering, or sacrifice, a sin sacrifice. You had the Day of Atonement, but you just didn't have the Day of Atonement when, the, when, when all the people came together. You had a sacrificial system that allowed you to offer a sacrifice for your sin, acknowledging, God, I sinned, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. It was also a reminder that God would send a deliverer one day who would be that sin substitute, and that person is Jesus. That's Romans 3 all the way through you know, 9. And, uh, and so that was, that's one uh, type of offering. The other two offerings was a thank offering, which you would present to God as a way of saying, God, thank you. Thank you for your, your love and your kindness in my life. Just how you've, you bless, even though you, you don't need to bless me. You're faithful, even when I'm faithless. And it was a way of just bringing to him an offer. Not that he needed it, but something just to say, hey, I love you, and this is an expression of my heart in a tangible way. That's a thank offering. And then there's a tithe offering, which is similar to a thank offering, but that was a tithe offering was more specifically the acknowledgement that all that I have, all that's in my bank account, all that the world looks at and says that I own is really yours. Like, it's because of you that I have these things, and I'm giving you the best of what you've blessed me with. I'm giving you a portion of the best of that to acknowledge that. That's why we do, that's why we have a place in our worship service. Um, Post-COVID, pre-COVID, <laughs> right now it's just find the box. Um, we have a place in our worship service to, for tithes and offerings. Well, that's just our way of saying, you know what? The reason why I have a bank account is because God is good to me. And this is my way of saying thank you. It's a part of our worship. And so what Paul's saying here in chapter 12 is present your body, present yourselves as, as a thank offering, as a tithe, as a thank offering in that God, I, you are so good to me and I am presenting myself to you to be used by you. Just use me. Just use me in any way that you want to use me. And then a tithe offering is just recognizing I belong to you and no other. The Corinthian church was a pretty jacked up church, as you know, and, and one of the issues in the Corinthian church was sexual immorality. Because, I mean, think about it. Like, don't, don't for a minimum. What happened in Paul's day uh, was minimal compared to what's happening in our day, that it wasn't as serious in his day as it is ours. It was just as jacked up, if not more, in Paul's day as it is in our day. At least here in America, you don't have a Colosseum that Christians are being fed to wolves and, and, uh, and, and, and gladiators and being 
you know, poured over with pitch and lit, lit on fire. Like, that's not happening yet uh, in, in America, right? But you had all kinds of stuff, and you had, you know, people who had multiple, uh, you know, relationships with, all, with people of the same sex, people of the opposite sex. It was crazy, just like it is today. And, and it, it, you had some of this creep into the church, because what happens when messy people get saved they're still a mess, <laughs> right? And it's a process. It's a, it's a process of God working through your mess and the mess of others. When we look at the world, we shouldn't be surprised that the world behaves the way that it behaves. And when people are, have you know, placed their faith and trust in Jesus and they're still struggling with sins in their lives, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because if we're honest, there's still stuff we're struggling with, right? So Paul says here, he, there was a, there was a guy in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother, and, and Paul said, like, why are you guys ignoring this? You need to kick this person out of the church. You need to exercise church discipline and let Satan deal with him in the hope that he will repent and he will turn his heart back to God, and then you can bring him back in the church. Well, they did that, and uh, in, chapter, in, the second, in Second Corinthians, Paul rebuked the church again and said, the guy repented, like he repented from his sin, and you won't let him back into the church. What's wrong with you? Let him back into the church. So this is the context for this for for First Corinthians six. But let's read this together. It says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body." Uh, what was the price tag for your body or for your soul? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Sunday school answer. Ready? Jesus. Jesus. Good. I like three of you. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, Jesus purchased us. And, and, and that's the point in Romans chapter 12. Like you're purchased by the blood of Jesus. Like he became all your sin, past, present, and future. God literally slaughtered his son so that you could have life, eternal life. He did that for you. So present yourselves to him. That is the natural, that should be the natural response uh, after experiencing salvation. And, and here's the thing. Like, we don't like suffering. And especially in America. Because we're not used to it. We're not, the church in America is not used to suffering on the level that most of the world is used to suffering. But he, God will use suffering in your life for redemptive purposes. Like he, he, I like to describe suffering as God's fire that he brings to your life to, bro, to burn the dross, to bring the dross to the top, you know, the, the impurities of the metal, to make you into someone who's more beautiful and more reflective of, of Jesus. And, um, and the one thing, the one thing that, uh, man, that's so good at is holiness. Like, we don't take God as seriously as we ought. Like, God, God doesn't, he doesn't accept second best. Like, that doesn't please him. And what I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, in Malachi, this is an Old Testament book, it's all about worship. I won't have the words on the screen, but, but in Malachi, the, 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 Israelis, the Israel was falling into the same trap that we fall into. You know what they were doing? Like with, this, with their form of worship, with worshiping God, here's what they were doing. When it came to the sacrificial system, they would look at their flocks and they'd say, oh, 
Here's a lamb that can barely walk. He's missing a leg. He's on the brink of death. I'm going to take that and I'm going to lay it on the altar and do my part in worshiping God. Uh, and, and so God will, and God will be pleased with that, right? At least I offered him something. And, and that's what I mean by second best. God's not pleased by that. And in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, if you're taking notes, listen to these words. Listen to God's rebuke of, the, uh, uh, of his people. He says, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? Because of the, he said, offer the best. Don't offer the worst. Or even the second best. Offer the best. Because you have it because I gave it to you in the first place. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. See what he says. Right? Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts, or that there uh, were among you? I wish there were one among you who would just shut the doors. You know what he's saying there? Uh, I'll, I'll use it in today's language. I wish there were someone who would just lock the doors of the church building. Don't even show up. That's going to be your heart. If you're just checking off boxes, don't, don't even bother. That's, that's what he says to Israel. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Now, don't get me wrong here. Like I just cited Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for the Christian. No condemnation. That doesn't mean he will not hold you accountable for the way you live your life. And you, you read into that what you will. The point is, and there are scripture passages like the one I'm going to share with you that should cause us to lose a little sleep from time to time. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, I quoted this passage to my father in a card that I wrote him after I found out that he was having an affair, my father being a Christian. I really, I still, to this day, I believe he was a Christian. He was having an affair, and I, I quoted this, and I, and I pleaded with him, Dad, just, you need to repent. You need to turn your heart towards God. He, he, he was having an affair with a, a woman in, at his work who was also a Christian. And I shared some of this story with you before, but some of you before, and I quoted this, and I sent it to him, and, um, and let's, let's just read it together, and then I'll tell you what happened. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's written to the church. That's not written to the people of Romans chapter 1. That's written to us, to us, uh, that God takes our worship seriously. I sent my dad that card, and uh, two weeks before he died, he went into his place of work, and he, said, and he lied. He lied, and he said that his wife left him, and he was taking care of my two siblings by himself. And uh, two weeks later, he was taking a bath, and he had a heart attack, and he died. We need to take this seriously. I mean, don't. Like, I know. There are people who have been a part of Meadowbrook and have been a part of seasons in my ministry who felt like I'm, I'm just going to walk out on my, on my husband, I'm going to walk out on my wife, and I'm going to go live with my boyfriend, I'm going to live with my girlfriend, and God's, God, God, will, God will forgive me. You know, we treat God like an all-shucks God. Like, all-shucks, oh, it's okay, I love you anyway. 
And we, we fail to take into account that Jesus became that sin in our place. And every time we just flippantly say, I'm going to do it anyway, I don't care what God thinks, Hebrews 6 says we essentially crucify Jesus all over again to open shame. And uh, it's serious. And so, so we ought to take our worship seriously. And he says here, he, says, he goes on to say, he says, so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you want to know what the will of God is, that's the first step. If you want to know what God wants for your life, seek him first. Seek him. Like I, uh, how do you do that? Well, have your nose you know, in this book. Listen to the voice of God that are in these pages. Allow the, uh, the, the Word of God to speak into your heart. You know, somebody described the Word of God like this. He says it's like water over your, your, uh, your, the, the hard soil of your heart. You know what happens when you continue to pour water over hard soil? What happens? It gets soft, right? I, was, I mowed my lawn yesterday. There was this big, in the backyard, there was this big patch of dry grass. And I, I thought, well, I wonder if it has something to do with the sprinklers. So as I watch after a year of being there, uh, wondering, blaming the dry grass on our uh, evil rabbits that live in our yard, I, I, I finished mowing the lawn and I thought, maybe I should run the sprinklers and see where the water's landing. And sure, lo and behold, there was a patch of the grass where the water was not landing on it the way it should have. And, uh, and the ground was hard and the grass was dying you want to know what the will of God is for your life? Start listening to his word. And let it saturate your hard heart. I'm speaking to myself too. You know, um, I need it just as much. And not just, don't stop there. Have somebody in your life who can speak into your life. Like, uh, like there are, when I was, you know, yesterday is the anniversary of me coming to faith in Jesus, and I was laying in the middle of that road, and I was cursing up a storm, and, and in the midst of my shouting out profanities, I was pleading with God, God, if you let me live, I'll do whatever you want me to do, just let me live. And then on July 18th, in the middle of my living room, that's when I gave my life to Jesus, the one thing that was no problem, was not an issue for me to get over, to, to have victory over, to experience victory over, was my mouth. Like, immediately, I had no desire to curse anymore. But that's not true for every area in my life. There are, there are areas in my life that's like a crawl. It feels like a waltz, uh, like a weird waltz. <laughs> like two steps back, one step forward, sometimes two steps forward, one step back, maybe to the left, to the right. Like that's the way the Christian life feels, for me, feels like for me, especially in light of areas in my life that feel like they've just had a stronghold. And that, I could tell you, I know, not specifically, but I know just from, from experience, there are strongholds in your lives that are represented in this room and those who are watching the live stream. And, not, not, and just listening to the Word of God and pouring your life over the Word of God may not be enough. You may need somebody in your life who could speak into your life, who can ask you the hard questions. Like, not, not lots of people, <laughs> but somebody who knows enough to get you in trouble, right? Like, you're honest enough with them that, uh, like, I, I had somebody in my life early on who was another pastor, and I jokingly but seriously said, he knows enough about me to get me fired, and I know enough about him to get him fired. Like, 
just because I'm up here doesn't mean I, I'm like Mr. Super Christian. I'm not. And nobody else in this room is either. We need somebody to speak into our lives. And uh, for guys, guys, you need somebody who will ask you. I'm probably well over 50% of you watching or in this room are addicted to pornography. And you need somebody who will speak the, ask the hard questions, who will ask you, what did you look at this week? And then follow up with the question, are you lying to me? And make sure it's somebody you care about and that you respect enough to not lie to that person. And the same thing is true for women. The, the statistics are just as high for you too when it comes to pornography. Or maybe it's not anything sexually related. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, I had a friend who, was a, who had an issue with gluttony and he had to have, it was real, and he had to have somebody in his life who held him accountable asking him, what did you eat this week? Um, and so if you want to discern what the will of God is for your life, that's the first step. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he goes on, uh, how do you, uh, whoa, sorry. <laughs> uh, I can have fun with that, but I won't. Um, how, do you, how do you figure out what is right? Well, he says, present yourselves as holy and acceptable to God. So here's a good question to ask yourself. Is it holy? Like, does it jive with the character of God, what I'm about to do or what I'm thinking about doing? And then secondly, secondly, is it, um, is, it, is it acceptable to God? And if the answer to those two questions is no, then it's not the will of God for your life. And then he goes on to say, he says, this is your spiritual worship. You, you, the, word, the Greek word for spiritual there is rational. I don't know why it's translated spiritual. This is your rational worship. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Christian, use your brain. Like, God gave you a brain. It's the organ in your body that God wants you to use for his glory, as well as all the other organs in your body. Use your brain for his glory. Listen to the word of God and be discerning to, 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 to ask the hard questions and figure out what his will is for your life. It's the, in an irrational world, and that's the way the world has always been, it is the rational thing to do. The world will tell you it's crazy to listen to the Word of God, but it is, it is, the, it is the exact rational thing to do. Listen to Him. And that's how you present your body as a living sacrifice, in a way that is holy and acceptable to God. And then secondly, live wisely. Live wisely. That's verse 2. In light of verse 1, do not be conformed to this world. I can guarantee you, friends, I, can, I, I promise you that if you're listening to God's Word, if you're listening to His Word, and you have somebody in your life or multiple people in your life that's speaking into your life, one good place to find people to speak into your life is a life group. We have them at Meadowbrook. Only 50% of Meadowbrook is a part of a life group. But we can get you plugged into a life group. But have somebody in your life who's speaking into your life outside of Sunday morning or watching the live stream. And I can guarantee you if you're doing those things, discerning the will of God for your life will be much easier uh, than if you were not doing those things. So to live wisely. Do not be conformed to this world. God doesn't want you to be conformed to this world. He doesn't want for your life Romans chapter 1. What he wants for your life is Romans chapter 9 through 21. He wants you to thrive. And, and, and the way to thrive is to have a life that's rooted in him, where he's, 
his word and, and his spirit is shaping you and, and changing you. How many of you are Christians in this room? Right? I mean, just about all of you. Some, some of you are thinking about it, maybe. I, I know there are some that are thinking about it, um, processing it. But if you're a Christian, you should be able to look on your life, okay, and, and, and see that before you're a Christian and now that you are a Christian, there's a difference in your thinking and in your lifestyle. Like for me, I praise God I'm not what I was. I am who I am simply by the grace of God, and I praise God that I will be, that I'm becoming what I am not yet right now. Like God is working and shaping my life. Do not be conformed to this world. And how do you not be conformed to this world? Well, one, you present your life as a living sacrifice, but two, by, the tra- by, by being transformed by the renewal of your mind. That the spiritual warfare, the decision to sin or to say no to sin, you want to know where that battle was first won or lost? It's in your mind. It's in your mind. And before long, whatever, whatever's going on in your brain will find its way into your heart. The less that you have your nose in God's book and the less you allow yourself to be around other godly Christians, the more like the world you will, you will become. And the more your nose is in this book and the more you have people in your life that are speaking into your life, the more you will look like Jesus. Recognize and discern uh, counterfeit money. It's not by studying counterfeit money. It's by studying real money like handling real money. There's a lot of fake stuff coming out you, coming at you in the world. A lot of fake stuff. You know, call it fake news, call it whatever, but it's, it's fake, it's phony. And the only way you're going to be able to discern whether or not it, what's, what you're hearing is real is by handling the real stuff. Is listening to the real stuff. Having this saturate your heart and your mind. Having people help you work through what you're reading in the Bible. Having people speak in your life. And then you'll be able to discern what's fake. You'll have a better understanding what is the will of God for your life and what isn't the will of God for your life. In James chapter 1, there's this passage. Let's read this together. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, is doing. It's similar forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's similar to what Jesus said. Jesus Jesus said, described uh, two builders, and he said, for the person who, who, who hears me but does nothing what I, with what I say is like the person who built his house on the foundation of sand. And when the storms of life came, or when they turned on CNN or, or, or Fox News, or they look at their jacked-up nation, which seems upside down and schizophrenic, uh, the storms of life come, and it, and, and it just it levels the house. But the person who built their house on the foundation, on the rock, the rock of 
God's Word and a relationship in uh, God. It's rooted in God. Uh, when the storms of life come, you stand. Like it doesn't wreck your life. Like COVID-19 should not wreck your world. Like regardless of what is true or what is not, it shouldn't wreck your world. It shouldn't paralyze you. Uh, it should be wise in how we live our lives, but, but it shouldn't turn our world upside down, like your world, <laughs> my world. And then uh, he goes on to kind of give us some other descriptors here for, for how we discern the will of God. He says, you know, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what God wants for your life. That's what he wants for your life. Now the world will say, no, you're not living unless you're like sowing your oats or, or, or doing what you really want to do. Like that's living. Like go, go sleep with this person or, 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 or cheat on your taxes or, or, or you know, whatever. The world will say that's living. But God says, no, that's not living. That's death. What's living is heeding my word and applying it to your life because God, like he wants life for us. I had somebody in my life say, in my family, describe um, relationships this way, and I'll, I'll keep this as less, as less crass as I can because there's children here. But he said, um, he said like, women are like shoes. You just got to kind of try them out. And so the way you do that is you live with them. And if, if you're not compatible, then you just get rid of them. I'm like, that is ugly, stupid, like ridiculous. And there are a whole other words I wanted to say at that moment. It was over Thanksgiving um, years ago. I said, but, but, but God says, you know what? You, you want to experience the kind of intimacy with another human being that you were made for sex. Like, if you want to, like, that's a gift from God, and you want to, like, that's something to be enjoyed and to be experienced, but only within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, period. And it's in that context you can experience thriving on that level. And then there's all kinds of other things that the Bible says. If you want to experience thriving, just, like, listen to the author of life. He knows something about it if you want to know how to live your life. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So I was going to save this. I was going to save this for when I preach on Romans 13, which is about government, right? Everybody excited about that one? Um, yeah, actually, come. I mean, like, I, I think it would be really good uh, to really wrestle over some things, especially in the crazy context we find ourselves in. But you've heard me say, and I'm wrapping this up, you heard me say or use the phrase, Black Lives Matter, and that our response to hearing the phrase ought not to be, well, all lives matter, because you just end the conversation when you say that. Really, our response, as people who know better about what does it mean to be, to, to be alive, our response should be, no, you're right. Black Lives Matter because you're created in the image of God. You know, I talked about that. I'm not going to hammer that anymore. I said, I think last week or the week before, I said that doesn't mean you have to get behind the political movement, Black Lives Matter. Because as Christians, we need to use our heads and we need to be discerning. And so if there is something that stands against God, and I, whether it's on the left or on the right politically, and there are a lot of things on the right that stand against the word of God, 
as well as there are a lot of things on the left that stand against the Word of God. And as Christians, we should, I said this in a Facebook post, we shouldn't be looking to the left or to the right. We should be focusing our minds heavenly word, right, on God. But I, if you go to the website Black Lives Matter, the political website Black Lives Matter, uh, you can find a, there's a tab that says what we believe, which is their, essentially their doctrinal statement, what you would find on a church, uh, most churches. And this is why I stand against the political movement, Black Lives Matter. There are a number of other reasons, but this is one of them. It says, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. That is, in case you're wondering, that is the family unit that consists of a husband-wife relationship in the context of marriage. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement, which is not a Western prescribed structure. It is a God-prescribed structure, right? Um, so technically speaking, it's an Eastern-prescribed structure because that's where the Bible came out of, far, uh, the Middle East. So we, we disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. So there's an element of truth there. Um, but m there's some poison in there too. And then, he goes, then they go on to say, we foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of, listen, of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, meaning that heterosexual relationships are a good thing and it's designed by God. We, our purpose is to, re is to re get our culture to... To, to free itself from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather, listen, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. Um, and, uh, and for that reason is why I reject Black Lives Matter. The political movement, not the statement, because I think the statement is true. Um, that's what, you know, as Christians, we need to be able to think through that stuff. And then we stand in the gap and we, we, we proclaim the gospel, and we proclaim truth, and we use stuff like this as a bridge to engage our, our neighbors in a community who are really wrestling over these things, as you are. I'm sure a lot of you are wrestling over these. So in conclusion, there are four questions. In discernment, discerning the will of God, there are four questions that I ask myself that I just want to sh I'll share with you as a way of just wrestling through, is this, is this God's will for my life? And question one is, first and foremost, is it going to cause me to sin? Is this going to cause me to violate the Word of God? If it does, if whatever decision you're facing, you're, is before you causes you to, to violate the Word of God, to sin against God, you want to know something? It is not the will of God for your life. Just because you don't like your spouse right now and there's somebody in your office or in your neighborhood who makes you feel good about life, it is not the will of God for your life. Um amongst other things. So that's, that's question one. Now, if, you, if your answer to question one is, no, it's not going to cause me to sin, and it doesn't violate anything that God said, you can move on to question or point two. Uh, that is, have I prayed about it? And literally, pray about it. Like, a lot of the decisions we make, we do so without seeking God. Especially when it's a, gray, it's a gray decision, where it's not morally wrong or right, it's just it is what it is. We need to pray about those things. So pray about it. Really, honestly, pray about it. 
Seek the face of God in prayer about that decision. And then um, after that, seek the advice from a godly or older Christian who is following Jesus. Like, you, it is good to seek wisdom from those who have experienced life in a way that maybe you have not experienced life before. And at the very least, ask that person to pray for you as you're wrestling with whatever decision you're wrestling with. Just don't, just don't jump into something because you like it or you feel, you, you feel attracted to that decision, like a new job or a new house or a different state, sometimes, especially during winter in Wyoming or, or spring. Like, seek God. Seek Him and, 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 and seek the counsel of others after you've prayed about it. And then finally, after taking the first three steps, move forward in faith and just trust that God is big enough and bigger than your decision that if you went through all of those first three steps to move forward knowing that God could shut the door. He can open it or he could shut the door. And if he shuts the door, don't get angry at him. <laughs> Accept it as the will of God for your life and move on. Um, that's how you discern the will of God. And what does Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 look like? I'll, it looks like verses 9 through 21. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'll encourage you to do this. Go home and just read over it. Like, not just skim it. I mean, read it. As you read it, listen to it. I'll read the first couple of verses. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And it goes on. Um, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 look like as, as you put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word and for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. And... Um, for those who are watching or those who are here who don't know you yet, God, that they would hear these words from your word, which says that if all, all who confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that you, God, raised him from the dead, shall be saved. And as simple as that, believing that your son lived a life that we could never live, a perfect life, and died a death that we all deserved under your wrath, Jesus did that for us. And on the third day, he rose from the grave by believing that, we can have our sins forgiven and we can be reconciled to you. And for the rest of us, God, may we be a Romans 12, 1 and 2 people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.